for retaliation against an artist who has previously reported him for sexual harassment. Second. The motion has been made and seconded. Is there any further discussion? Seeing none, may I call the motion. All those in favor? Aye. Any opposed? The motion carries. Thank you. Um, this item we are now on agenda item item number seven, adjourned. This meeting is adjourned. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Commissioner Marcus Shelby. Present. Commissioner Janine Giotta. Here. Commissioner Lydia So. Present. We have full attendance. Thank you. Thank you, committee. I will now go to agenda item number two, general public discussion. This will allow any members of the public to comment generally on matters within the committee's purview as well as suggest new agenda items for the committee's consideration. Is there any general public comment? Seeing none, may I move now to agenda item number three, the Director of Cultural Affairs Report. Yes, thank you, commissioners, um, and thank you for all being here on this beautiful, if not slightly warm, summer day. Um, we have a few uh, general um, updates that we want to report, and I'm going to defer part of this to our Director of Community Investments, Barbara Mumby. Um, so, basically, there's uh, three things we wanted to discuss. Um, one is an update on the Arts Impact Endowment Working Group. Uh, we had a really wonderful two-day convening in May. Um, and so I will, I'll go through all the things and then I will, uh, will parcel them out in our reports. Um, so we're going to give you an update on that two-day working group and some of the recommendations coming back to us from the, uh, the working group members. Um, the second item is uh, we wanted to provide the Embarcadero Plaza Art Market Report. This is the summary report uh, prepared by our program officer, Ann Tricky, um, in regards to a prior conversation of the performance of MJM Management as the, uh, the on-site management company for Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Um, and so we'll just give a high-level overview, but based on some prior conversations about their uh, performance and the feedback from artists in the market, we wanted to provide that to the committee. And then third, we wanted to discuss um, a bit about our um, strategy and kind of programmatic plans for our racial equity initiative. You may all recall that we dedicated $225,000 of our new arts impact endowment to resource our racial equity work. Um, and there were some discussions about possibly allocating a bit more resources to that. But we wanted to get all of your thoughts and thinking about um, what might be uh, the best way forward, um, in, ideally in partnership with the Human Rights Commission and what is going to be the new office of uh, racial equity that will be under the purview of the Human Rights Commission, and that is new legislation that's been introduced in support of supervisors. So we want to be coordinated with not just our arts partners at Grants for the Arts, but also the citywide efforts. So those are the three main topics, and with that, I think I'll hand it over to our Director of Community Investments, Barbara Mumby, to walk us through the working group. I think, um, can I suggest that we actually start with the market manager evaluation, because I think that's quicker, and the other presentation will go right into the conversation around the racial equity initiative. Okay, that, sounds, that makes sense. Okay. Um, so I think you have here as the explanatory document the Embarcadero Plaza Art Market Report. Um, we will be bringing um, to the executive committee uh, the motion to consider uh, the contract for MJM that is not currently ready, but it will go, we're hoping, to the June executive committee. Um, but you have this before you. I guess I just would open it up if there are any questions um, about the report. We do have some hard copies at your um, at the tip of the dais here. So it's this uh, report that was prepared by Ann Tricky, our program officer. And again, this is the three-month market manager evaluation. Um, Ann is in here. She, she is. Oh, she is. Ann, could you just briefly walk us through that? I think it's especially in light of other matters that have been discussed, just to give us the high thing. Yeah, so um, as part of the contract, this was a temporary contract that we created with MJM as a you know, test to see how this would work, having market management on site. 
Um, and so built into that uh, scope of work was a three-month and a six-month evaluation. So what you have before you is the three-month evaluation. Um, I will say this was done in the winter time, so the population of artists at the market is lower than it will be now when we do our six-month evaluation. Um, I'm going to use the same questions. They're all built around the scope of work and, and what NJM should be doing and and is doing according to the scope of work. So really lottery, um, parkings on here, set up, uh, communications with uh, here, us here at the office, and in general just like solving on-site issues. Parking still remains the number one. Um, I'm not sure if or how we will resolve that, uh, but still does remain number one. And this issue with the fire hydrant space, there's like a space that's a fire hydrant that's not an actual space. Unfortunately, an MTA worker told the artist that they could park there, which goes directly against what we've told the artist, so managing different information, that kind of thing. Um, I will say in general, you know, the artists seem satisfied. I think what I've heard is they like having someone there. There has been some issue about like finding that person and reaching them. In the original scope of work, we were planning to have a kiosk and have them be set up, but the setup and takedown of a physical kiosk has been difficult for MJM to coordinate. Um, they, there have been some staffing issues, I think as Tad previously mentioned in his comment, about keeping individuals um, for this project specifically, security. So we do have one main person who is now kind of stepping into the role as both admin and security, and they're still trying to hire more long-term stable security. Uh, yeah, well, on this point, and we know, especially for those who have been on the street artist committee for a while, that there are other venues. Do we have these sorts of issues beyond the ferry, um, the Market Street? Not to my knowledge. I mean, I do know that at Castro, where we only have three regular spaces, that artists don't feel safe selling there. I had one artist sell there who was um, the victim of someone stole something from her. Um, I think one of the reasons people like the plaza is their strength in numbers. It really is a draw with that ferry building right there. You know, you really do get all of the tourists and all of the regular farmers market folks. It has the largest foot traffic. Um, and footprint, I think, of any of the other locations. It also just like allows for more of a market structure being in the plaza rather than, say, on Fisherman's Wharf where you're really stuck on the sidewalk. So it's just a different beast, and um, I think that's why it has special needs, and I also think that's why we are investing in it because we do know that's where the majority of our artists are. Now, a couple of years back, um, there was some uh, discussion about what was going on at North Beach. Um, how is that? How is that work? Uh, Fisherman's Wharf North Beach is interesting. I think, um, as I mentioned earlier, this whole state uh, safe sidewalk peddling act has hit that location probably the hardest. I think we have a number of artists who are not renewing their permits and are selling there um, without participating in the program, which looks to be their legal right. Um, so I'm having less and less folks talking to me from that area in general. Um, I do have new artists coming in and trying out that area. Uh, I have, usually with the newer folks, I don't have as much issue. It's only when like the new abuts against the old that we get conflict. Um, and I just wanted to add a, a couple clarifying points. I know we have a couple of new commissioners who may not be as familiar with the history of the program. Um, but the Street Artist Program is designated under the authorities of the Arts Commission by a voter initiative, um, 1972, um, and it, Prop L, and it dictates kind of an outline of the guidance of the program. Um, and one of those uh, stipulations is that it be a, uh, what's called a, a balanced program, so that the fees that the street artists pay are to balance, um, to make sure that it's not having an impact on the general fund. But because of the affordability challenges of keeping up with the cost of staffing the program and other costs, particularly the legal fees associated with adjudicating the program, costs were rising significantly. And so in order to cover those costs, the Arts Commission had, uh, upon my arrival, actually voted for a fee increase. But because of the impact on the artist, and given that there were already a number of affordability challenges given the cost of living in San Francisco, um, the Board of Supervisors and the mayor would need to approve any fee increase. And at that time, Mayor Lee chose not to increase fees given the, the um, 
challenges that many people are facing around affordability. So since my arrival, the fee has only increased by cost of living, which is uh, set by the Consumer Price Index. Um, I think it's averaged between one and a half to up to three percent, but not more in any given year. The last couple of years, it's been about forty dollars. So the increase. So we have had to subsidize the program with some general fund, and, and dating back to the Lee administration, we were granted some general fund dollars to help subsidize some of the costs of the program. But one of the challenges that is ongoing is the resourcing of, uh, you know, so in terms of why we just have a Friday, Saturday, Sunday contract with MJM, which I think has been a kind of a consideration that was part of our pilot effort, but the tension is uh, we would need to look at resources out of Proposition E to uh, extend that contract above and beyond what we can afford right now. So now that Proposition E is in place, we certainly could make that decision, but um, the only other way to do that would be to raise fees, um, which I think is for all the reasons we had heard you know, with artists and given the cost of living, it may not be the best pathway. So um, those are some of the tensions related to how we're staffing the, the actual market here at the at Ferry Market. And then just as a reminder, and it is noted in the, in the report, but we do not have a, a legal agreement with the Rec and Parks Department to be there. It's kind of been a good faith uh, partnership that's just been over generations, actually. Um, so we kind of <laughs> granted what might be referred to as squatters rights for being there and, and just kind of taking in good faith the presence. And so uh, under this new law, the state law that's coming into effect, we're exploring, there may be legislation going to the Board of Supervisors to clarify some local terms over what the state law has set. And within that, we will be revisiting conversations with the Recreation and Park Department about how our partnership might go forward. Um, because we do believe under the new law, we might have, um, if there isn't a change locally, we may need to be looking at a more formal uh, agreement to be present there. Is that your report? Yeah, anything else you want me to answer on this? Um, I think, I guess this is a question maybe for the street artists themselves, but and, and I know that they did the survey. But overall, are you are you pleased with the market manager? I think it's still new. I think we've only been doing this not even a year, and because we've had consistency in staffing, that there's always room for improvement. And the goals that I had for the big dream have not been met because we've just been getting people up to speed. But I think it's still better to have folks on-site than not, and I can definitely see that in this response, and I've gotten that in the qualitative responses people have given me. And one of the things that this highlights is there are kind of mechanical, procedural, behavioral matters, you know, um, somebody has to be a sheriff. There's also the development of their culture, and I think that's the concern that we equally have, that uh, a comportment shouldn't be dependent on someone being there. You know, the character really is like, you know, how people behave when nobody's watching. And so I hope that you know, as you're looking at these quantitative and these qualitative measures, you know, that uh, people feel empowered to speak up. And I certainly appreciated the public comment today because it helps us to understand that we have to change the culture from the inside out. And we have to make sure that the behaviors that um, are not com uh, compliant with our values are not supported and that we as a committee and the commission stand behind you as staff who are really making sure that even through our market manager that we're changing the culture, not just the policies and procedures and the rules, but how do people really, you know, are they kind to each other? Are we looking at traffic and 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 language and, and all of that in ways that promotes commerce? Because people don't go where commerce doesn't really grow where there's not safety and trust. So that's a very, very important matter that well, I think we as, as a committee will be looking is the culture really, not changing because there's a good culture there, but is it really being strengthened? Thank you. So we will um, we will again conduct the six month study and uh, share that with you as well. But I think it's just a great way to keep uh, an oversight on the performance of the MJM contract and and how it's working at at Mercadero Plaza. Yeah, I also want to say one thing that I really appreciate this. I mean, there are great markets in the world, and when we really think about the location 
of what the fairy, you know, and that, I don't even want to call it that name of the person that it's named after, <laughs> Justin somebody. Um, but it's a real opportunity for, you know, it's one of the front doors of San Francisco, and we should be proud of that market. So thank you. Right. So with that, um, we will move to an overview of the Arts Impact Endowment Working Group's recommendations from our two-day convening in May, and I will hand that over to our Director of Community Investments, Barbara Mowney. Thank you, Director Dekini. Um as, as Director Dekini, um shared, on May 16th and 17th, we hosted some of the most I would dare to say brilliant minds in our sector um, to convene around the cultural service allocation plan or the priority areas that were determined um, through the community process. And what Tom and I um, thought was that I, I don't believe we have brought the process to this committee and that what we did, it was a very fast-paced um, post-prop E community engagement that we did. Um, so, and with new commissioners, we thought this would be a great opportunity. So this is a little bit of a redacted um, presentation of what we, what we shared with um, the, the working group. Um, so back in, just add, yes. Do you think this um, version has gone to full commission? I believe it was in January or February. So this, you may have, some of this may <coughs> Great. But you haven't had us present on it yet, so. Um, so after Prop E was passed in November, we had a very quick um, turnaround in order to develop priority areas for the funding, um, specifically for the Arts Impact Endowment, um, which is the 2.5 annual allocation. Um, so what we did, first and foremost, is we identified 12 priority areas that have basically have been created through the work that we do, not only in community investments, but through our public art. And um, we workshopped this through our, our full staff here, as well as some partners, to really try to identify what those 12 main points are um, for the sector. And I think we I think we did pretty good, in, and I don't know if you can identify something that's not somehow listed in, in these priority areas. So um, with the priority areas um, defined, we set about doing um, both an online poll, um, which was open for about three weeks, where individuals could vote on their top three priorities. Um, we had almost 3,000 responses. We did have seven open houses um, throughout the city and kind of uh, strategic areas. We did have our brand new commissioner, Linda Parker-Pennington, um, participating in one up there. And then um, we had three mapping activities taking place here, which were from kind of our longstanding grantees, both individual artists, some of our street artist participants, as well as organizations who kind of got, kind of did a strategic plan planning um, process. We did one special focus group of youth at SODA, and we also opened it up to receive emails. So we had some some project-specific proposals as well as kind of networks proposing kind of their priority areas of where they felt the fund should go to. Some were more specific than others. Um, the, our previous um, racial equity analyst, Dr. Anting Daoshaw, um, coded all of these. And um, from the poll, this is what we saw the priority areas were. It was um, primarily around arts education and um, kind of the deep sustainability of arts organizations as well as issues around space. Um, and with the coding of all of the additional input that we received, it kind of mirrored what the priority areas were. Again, it was arts education, space, um, core support for organizations, you know, issues around housing, especially for individual artists. So what we came up with out of all that input was our allocation for the $2.5 million. So the majority of it would go into youth, or that's our domain of youth, um, which is the arts education field, and all the way down to 10% of individuals. Um, we did build in kind of a 5% um, deviation, um, also recognizing that there's a lot of intersectionality amongst these four buckets of priority areas. 
And just to kind of reiterate the five-year funding plan, this is based on the controller's office uh, projections of, of about a 3.4% growth each year. So when you uh, remove the overhead expenditures, so we um, have a reserve fund that we want to continue to build in case um, we hit either a recession or some sort of horrible uncontrollable, unforeseenable incident. Um, we want to make sure that we're supporting our administration um, admin, as well as um, continuing to build in some research and evaluation. And in a further slide, we'll talk about the initial year. So in 1819, we did receive half in advance. So we have the 1.25 that we received um, in January. And this really, the five-year plan really starts as of July 1 of 2019. But this also gives you a, a better idea of how much is available in each one of the buckets. So um, the 2.5 split between these four areas um, in this way, you know, there's only about $200,000 for individual artist support or whatever that means. But you'll see in the recommendations how that is actually kind of expanded by the recommendations and how it's supported. Do you have a question? I, I do, but you might answer it uh, coming up in a future slide, maybe I'm jumping the, the shark a little bit. Um, how, like, the individual artists, you already, you already do individual arts grants, so you would probably roll that money into that process, or will this be completely separate in terms of? You will see. Uh, so you will see. Keeping you in suspense. That was my question for arts and education, too. Yeah, exactly. So what we'll show you here is what actually came out of the working group, so the actual tangible recommendations and the vehicle of how the money will go out. Uh, while we are on the slide, though, I will just note that the projected allocations are the controller's current projections of hotel tax revenue, but they've already changed, I think, twice in the time since November. So I just want to make sure that when we look at these up, which is, yes, they've gone up, which is great. So, um, so you know, when the voters approved the what we thought would be the first year there, it's impacting down, and we thought it would be 2.5 million, it's 2.6 million. Um, so it's a modest increase, but it's an increase nonetheless. But I think just to remember that when we look at these numbers, they are moving based on actual hotel tax revenues, which are monitored by the controller's office. So just um, in terms of that top line about what the fund is, I just wanted to note that for the record, as that will likely be changing over the years as, as those numbers come in. Okay, and just to really quickly um, remind you all kind of the way that community investments function. So there's four strategies that we use um, to support our constituency. One, of course, is as a funder. Um, we provide grants to individual artists, cultural workers, organizations. We also convene um, constituencies together um, either to uh, address important issues or um, develop some sort of way to answer kind of outstanding questions that we have, as well as a capacity builder, so um, trying to find more opportunities to provide uh, additional supports to our constituents, and a catalyst, and that is just really about how we shift policy, how we support it. Um, that's kind of where I believe our racial equity work falls into that area in any of our evaluation approach. One of the things I would, I would pause is this capacity builder is really a wonderful tool. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I believe that we're seeing it are some of the more mature leaders, especially within the cultural centers, mentoring. Um, because they understand the challenges that are inherent. It's very different from other perspectives. But when you understand what's going on in your own community and you can translate that, I, I think that, that that area right there is a very, very promising um, matter because I, I'm a strong believer in mentorship. I'm a strong believer in that kind of intergenerational development of trust and relationship and, um, and what that can really build from the inside out rather than, yeah, I know consultants can do this sometimes, but they don't necessarily understand our environment. They may have a formula that works you know, important. But what's it like here? And I think that some of the work that you're doing to encourage internal mentorship and capacity building yeah. is very important. And you'll be excited by some of the recommendations. Mm -hmm. yeah. 
Um, again, this is just a reminder of some of the, the things that we're currently doing. We have a lot of grants programs that serve youth, individuals, organizations, um, community in place, which is where our cultural centers um, lie, and as well as infrastructure around creative space or any capital investments we have for the cultural centers. So that's how we function as a funder. As a convener, there's a lot of that we do within our youth domain or under arts education, such as our partnership with um, the CAC around Poetry Out Loud, um, the Writers Corps cohort learning, um, and a workstorm that we have annually, as well as we do a monthly cultural centers cohort. Capacity building, again, is an area that we've been wanting to grow. We just haven't had the resources or the internal capacity, so this is going to be um, kind of the catalyst for the, um, the impetus for that. So we do have the Cultural Ambassador Program, which has been very successful, and um, the Meta Housing Readiness Program, which we have ex extended, um, and we'll see how the results, the impact of that is. Um, some work when uh, Judy Lynn's office here was with the school district. Um, can you tell us where this, where that work fits in this flow here? So um, things that we do with the school district, um, it's, it's currently not on there, but we do um, sit on the arts education master plan. So we are part of that conversation and at the table to help develop that. Um, and then some residual um, convenings that we attend, Tom can. Yes, and I would add the um, arts education resource fair is targeted specifically to SFUSD teachers, stakeholders, as well as parents, and it's in close partnership with SFUSD and the um, Arts Education Alliance of the Bay Area. Um, and then on the state level, and I know our staff are actually going shortly, I believe, to the California Alliance for Arts Education's Policy Council, which is the statewide policy council that's looking at issues of arts education and arts education policy. Um, but I would say our two main SFUSD goals are as serving on the Arts Education uh, Master Plan Steering Committee, um, which isn't up there. Uh, I guess we'd probably put that under more of a catalyst role because we're kind of driving policy. It was an oversight. We do so much. I forgot that. Um, but then also the Arts Education Resource Fair, which for the last several years has been at the Asian Art Museum. So you know one of my um, pet projects has been about the expansion of the definition of the arts. And so I, I just want to continue to encourage that theater arts and other crafts, things that go into jobs that are not necessarily in terms of that more identified notion of creative expression, but wig making and shoe making and set making and lighting and sound and all of that stuff is the industry that you know, is in California. And I just hope that we can connect the workforce um, of the youth of the future into the jobs that are in the future too. Two are looking ahead, just wait. Yeah, I just want to, because I'm excited, but I want to just make sure that that stays before us. Uh, yes. Because I think that it's just a huge opportunity and one that I'm not sure that our philanthropic sector has really yet understood. Well, we've been known to push the envelope that then leads the private sector, so just Stay tuned, a couple more slides. Um, so now we're getting into the meat, so the working group recommendation. And what our team did is take all of the community input that we received through the community engagement. We did all of the actual research, primary and secondary research to support the recommendations, as well as looking at our own internal capacity and the, the multiple years of sitting here with you all and hearing your desires and goals and, and dreams for what we do. And we reflected those back to the working group. And so um, the presentation, the working group set through that for a day and getting kind of the tools in the background. And then the second day, they used the racial equity toolkit to workshop through those recommendations. Um, what they did tell us is that they felt that our recommendations were very strong. They didn't want to actually change the recommendations. They just had a lot of input. Um, and suggestions on implementation. So, you know, ensuring that we're centering equity, that uh, marginalized communities are up front and center. So, kind of like reaffirming our value system. So, 
So we went through, we have the four buckets. Um, so these are what, what is our charge, basically, moving forward. Um, so in space and infrastructure, there was a lot of conversation around individual supports individual artists having access um, to live workspaces. So, um, you know, either rent subsidies, but I, you know, I think primarily for ownership, so that long-term sustainability and what that looks like. Um, some of the actual, how this actually is implemented is still, we're gonna be working on it. Um, so the implementation timeline, we wanna give ourselves enough time to build partnerships, to have more conversation on how um, these different activities are going to roll out. So anything new, um, any actual new funding category probably won't go live um, until next fall. But things, um, special RFPs where we're engaging a partner um, to help us develop something, those will likely roll out this fall. So for space, um, you know, and the more we can use an intermediary, the, the quicker things move because we do move pretty slow internally. So, um, you know, this is where the conversation at the end that we can have a more fruitful conversation about what you all envision some of these activities will look like or, or provide input. Could I ask a question about that, Barbara? Sure. Um, and uh, just if you could get put a little more detail on that, because I don't know what done in the past in terms of partnerships, I mean specifically around workspace and living, you know, or do you partner with, you know, community banks or, I mean, how do you actually work? Those are, are good questions. Um, currently, for in this kind of vein, individual ownership opportunities, what we're currently working with is with Meta um, around the housing counseling, and that's predominantly for the below market housing um, pipeline. We do um, have worked in the past with CAST around more organizational sites. So this is actually a really brand new kind of uh, wheelhouse for us when it comes to actual little deeper with home ownership for individuals. So that's where we're going to look for guidance with you all as well as you know key partners in the community to help really refine what this looks like. Okay, great. Yeah. If, um, if you have a working group, I'd love to stick my hand up because of that. Yeah, I stayed in built environment. And that was one thing that we heard from the working group, especially specifically around space. The state space is so, there's so much to it and it's so complex that I anticipate there'll be some sort of formalization of a working group to continue to have those conversations. Um, the next one is um, kind of building on our current planning grants through Creative Space, but this actually will fund groups with like-minded missions. Um, to come together and develop an innovative approach to shared space. So um, I think our initial thinking is that we've, it would be a cohort kind of learning model where we would use our, our connections, our partners to come in and really educate these groups of individuals on what it is to develop something kind of innovative and new approach and we'll help identify those kind of skilled folks to come in and help work them through it. So ideally, by the end of their cohort, they, as a group, would have a plan in place that as resources develop, they're, they're ready to kind of pull the trigger and jump on it. Yeah, sorry, as I recall, um, Cam, uh, the film festival has bought a space and then created a creative space within right. other filmmakers for other creatives. So we're fortunate to have Debbie Ng on staff who was there. So those are kind of the models thinking about, but just not just for um, organizations, but individual collective models as well. So building on kind of those uh, promising practices and, and success stories, and then identifying, there, you know, we know of a handful, a dozen, dozen different organizations that are looking for space and have issues, and how do we bring them together? Do we have other artistic hubs like that? Like um, CAM or? Yeah, like CAM. Yeah, I, there, there, there are lots of models throughout the nation, and I think Tom probably have more specifics locally. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, I mean, there's the Ninth Street Media Center, which is the CAM um, kind of collaborative investment in space. Um, I think we see a lot of groups that are forming. Um, we have the Attain Collaborative, which is uh, the resident, number of resident arts organizations at the African American Art and Culture Complex who've discussed 
um, ongoing and emerging space needs above and beyond the space at ACC. So I might imagine they could qualify in this area if they were to want to pursue other additional performing arts venues in. Um, and wherever those might be that they're most interested in programming. Um, but I think we also have, as Barbara was mentioning, individual artists. I know um, uh, there are some, you know, we have developing environments, which is a living environment, as well as the workspace for a lot of individual artists. Um, so I think we could even leave this open to looking at, I know the Small Sites uh, Acquisition Fund of the city does afford and allow for uh, acquiring living space. So, you know, this could be open to that. I don't think we've pres been prescriptive yet about where um, these funds, you know, I think the idea is just a collaborative endeavor where we're helping that collaboration and that cohort work together to pursue a long-term sustainable space solution. And then the final activity under space um, is things that we're kind of currently doing, but we can explore um, deepening them um, using intermediaries to provide that kind of technical assistance around lease negotiation. So we do have um, some funds going to NCCLF, um, the Northern California Community Loan Fund, who do this work. Um, we also have, and some of the things that came out of the working group was our ability to provide emergency grants. So we have, um, you, you all approved in the last meeting, funds to go to NCCLF to do some emergency space mitigation. So um, we'll continue to do or, or look at different ways to, to meet those needs. So for core operating support, this will take some more conversation. Um, uh, you know, the, the most effective way of funding organizations is through multi-year general operating grants. Currently, the way our structure is, we don't do that, um, whereas Grants for the Arts, kind of their primary approach is that. So we've had conversations over the years with Grants for the Arts on how we can work more intentionally together so that we could also provide a vehicle for general operating without um, duplicating services. So um, we'll be exploring the ability to do that over the next year and hopefully turning our cultural equity initiative, um, which is a strategic or capacity building grant, which has kind of been used as a pseudo general operating grant, just to make it more explicit. And through that, implementing cohort learning through through the um, through that grant category and developing kind of cohorts that um, are tied to more professional development, kind of looking at the DeVos and the Bloomberg model on how we can continue that work that was done. Um, and then. And that's what the, the capacity builder convening, convener part is, is really that around that professional development cohort learning opportunities. And then for individual artists, so again, when you look at kind of that $200,000 that was initially proposed, but then yet in space, we're also um, proposing some of that money go to help mitigate space. Um, but specifically under individual artists, um, um, as you were witness to today, um, we've we've done a lot of research on art market programs, and um, some of the funds will be allocated to developing a pilot art market program, um, which will kind of um, address the more contemporary ways of art markets. Um, Pop-up markets throughout the city will be working with our supervisors to identify locations in different districts where um, kind of a seasonal market would be, um, would be lucrative and welcome. And then kind of uh, structure it where it supports our equity framework um, without a fee. So um, it, it not necessarily, receiving funds in the form of a grant, but I think more like an artist registry that we would then work with an intermediary to do these markets. Um, and then as a capacity builder, throughout all of our programs, what we want to do is create a learning institute, which is what would hold all of the professional development activities. Um, so working with an intermediary to help develop that, to develop a calendar, um, to assess what the sectors need or want for those training opportunities. And um, well, we would offer that throughout the year. And then um, the cultural ambassador program, can some more intentional support for that. Um, the working group was very um, excited by that program. Um, so we'll take it from a pilot to more of an institutional program with, with more um, 
transparency or more um, defined, you know, a framework for that program. And then finally, with arts education, um, if you recall, this is approximately $800,000 baseline. And so 40% of the grant making um, with this arts um, impact endowment will go to arts education. So there were multiple activities, and unfortunately Chuck left. This was the exciting, exciting piece for him. Um, we, we have four different things we're, we're proposing. One is inter, a new category for intergenerational learning. And this is um, really supporting master teachers to work either one-on-one -on -one or in group settings. Um, and what the working group wanted was for students of all ages. They did not want this category specifically to be solely for youth. Um, and um, a lot of emphasis on really looking deeper <coughs> around cultural barriers. So kind of those traditional art forms that um, may not necessarily be recognized in our normal grant making, but how we really lived up those cultural barriers in very nuanced communities. And then um, our current Writers' Corps program, um, they, we want to look to expand that to be more inclusive of other genres outside of, of literary arts. Um, so we'll work on a timeline for that. Um, what we anticipate, because this is such a large category, um, is engaging a consultant to come in and help our staff really develop these and help with the community engagement that will be needed to develop new programs in a, a very intentional, impactful way. Um, so that will help not only um, hopefully us or assess the current writers' core model because uh, some of you may recall it's been about four years that we transitioned it from a direct service program into a grants program. So it's it's well due for kind of an assessment to see how the vehicle is working and if we need to to upgrade it in some way. And then yes. So um, this gets to, um, that's a topic that's very near and dear to my heart. There's two of us here who have um, kids in Minnesota, and um, uh, I know this is focused on arts education outside of SFUSD, uh, but it's very synergistic with what we're trying to do uh, in Minnesota to create a pipeline of, um, you know, marginalized youth who don't have access to, you know, violin lessons or yeah. dancing lessons or whatever. Um, and it's yet we can have a robust and diverse class coming in because they have to be able to get through the audition process. So I'm really curious and I, I think there is a soda parent on the working group that's looking at this. Um, yes, we did have a soda parent, yes. Yes, that's right. Um, so she's a plant, actually. Yes, but so she's I, very wonderful. Yes, <laughs> she's actually the head of our PTSA. Yes. PTSA. But anyway, I just say that I'm very interested in kind of intricacies of how arts education works both in, you know, in and out of the school system. Um, and then we have artists and residents also at SOTA. And, um, and we want to make sure there's a robust process for supporting those folks because uh, I'm sure they can ill afford to be here. I don't know how they, they right. do it, but you know, I mean, having enough of those working with the teachers in the classroom because the teachers actually don't have. Um, necessarily, you know, some of the specific domain skills in certain, yeah. certain areas. So, anyway, I just want to say this is really important work there. And and the conversation from your plant in the working group and, and the rest of the working group was um, is similar to what we'll do with the space. Is kind of reconvene some of those great thinkers and great minds to work with the consultant and our staff as we roll this out. So I mean, you know, the dialogue isn't done. You know, it's ongoing uh, collaboration and partnership to develop something that's really robust and impactful that's going to meet the needs of everyone. And then I think um, the one that most exciting for, for Chuck is what we have, um, or Commissioner Collins is for creative pathways. And I know over the years he's this is what he was talking about, and it kind of models or, or mirrors what the, the mayor's agenda currently is, is about finding. Um, opportunities for youth to not only develop the skills but actually get paid to do so. Um, so, and this is not just within like the creation of work, but arts administration, the tech, the AV field, all of all of those intricacies that, that Commissioner Collins was alluding to. Um, so that's a, a very exciting. Um, opportunity as well, and we've defined youth for that. Um, I would assume about 16 for legality reasons up to transitional age youth and 24. 
I just want to call that out, and I think that that's um, really important that we are looking at supporting transitional age youth. Um, we know that there's just a lot of disconnection with folks that are between the ages of 16 to 24, so I really commend the group for uh, extending that age population. And they, and they did get very um, granular in defining marginalized youth, you know, foster youth, yes. you know, incarcerated youth, so um, we'll look at ways to prioritize the, the most um, um, so the, the youth that could benefit the most from, from the support. So um, that was definitely explicit. The program at the Bayview Opera House, would that be one of the types that, of programs? That's possible, yeah. Whether it's um, funding that, I, I'm not quite sure yet. We don't know yet how this is going to roll out, if it's going to be a, an individual grants program, which I assume, but that I guess programs I ask, like that because it seemed to be a, a successful program mm -hmm. that uh, other organizations uh, art institutions might be able to model. Yeah. yeah. And I think that goes back to what um, Commissioner Collins was also talking about, that peer mentorship, how we then take success stories and use it to really um, educate and fuel the field in that way. Um, and then finally, uh, you know, it's just opportunities to bring constituents together. So as we talked about earlier, some of the resource fairs, um, after school conference, but I think there's a lot of conversation specifically around convening youth um, and providing leadership opportunities for youth. So that's, you know, kind of a very broad bucket that can be further developed or could be available as needs arise throughout. Um, throughout the year. And so now we're, um, what, what we talked about earlier is wanting to refresh and also for the new commissioners um, if they hadn't already been privy to some of the, the funding that's available through Prop E, through different buckets. So we, we have through the 1819 um, allocation, which was the 1.25 million that we received in advance, We've allocated $225,000 to a racial equity initiative, as well as $375,000 to start um, developing that evaluation plan and impact evaluation, um, ideally for all of properties. So as we're developing it, we can develop the, the, the evaluative tools. And then um, the plan was at about year two or, or three, after we've had some time um, to, to um, collect data, that we would be able to review and pivot if necessary. And then finally, through our cultural center um, bucket of money, the initial um, 250000 that we received, we did, um, if you all recall, provide each of the um, six cultural centers um, $30,000 for discretionary and whatever they needed. And then we allocated $50,000 to do a strategic plan. The, the program's over 40 years old, and there's never been a plan. For it. There's a lot of questions, like, you know, what is the vision and mission, um, you know, things to, like, how how many hours should you be open, and, and how do we allocate those money, that money to you, and what is a cultural center? So kind of those questions that are, are should have been in place a long time ago that we're struggling to answer now, that we're hoping this process will um, engage the broader community um, and the stakeholders, and then also help us um, kind of do a temperature check. If, they're, if the centers are currently meeting their needs, and if they're not, what does the community want to see? So I'm excited about that. It's going to be a big, heavy lift, um, but I think it's going to um, shed some light and help give us some direction. I'm really excited about this one, too, because I haven't, um, haven't haven't been able to go tour every cultural centers, but I think I tour more than half of them by now. I am wanted to know like how long is this time frame that you will be utilizing this particular um, the, the 50,000 yeah this because it seems like it could be like you know it could be done yesterday you know <laughs> five years ago <laughs> um, you know I mean as a bureaucratic will it takes longer than we hope right, right. to you know 
I had aspirations and this would have already been started, but we're still getting through all of the other buckets. Um, so that what we are looking to do is every year shave off a little bit of money from each of the buckets, both for evaluation and for racial equity. So those two kind of components can be ongoing. So we have seed money, but we need to continue that work. So I can imagine that $50,000 could get us started, but we're going to get to a point where we probably need more um, or more ongoing assessments and needs. So I think this working in relation to the um, evaluation plan, which will all be integrated, that inter inter in integrated, um, we'll, we'll have to just keep assessing and, and, and expanding if necessary. So are you thinking of like having maybe like a annually there, there will be like an assessment? Well, I think this is going to be the, the, the first year is going to be a lot of growing pains. Um, and then I think we'll have to, as a group, assess the next step, what we need to do from that point on. Okay. Is that mostly, I mean, like, I'm, that, that, uh, that budget for that, what does that cost, cover, actually? Yeah, that's probably pretty bare bones for what we need. I know. Yeah. Um, so it'll get us started. I see. So then we'll have to recess, yeah. Has, has the RMP been done no. for that? No. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, I, I would offer to commissioners that have thoughts about what maybe would be good to have in that scope for the RFP to, you know, feel free to send those to Barbara and myself um, for consideration and to integration into the RFP. Um, and I think to Barbara's point, I mean, staff do ongoing compliance monitoring of the cultural centers, but I think to your question, Commissioner Shelby, that this, this is a little bit of the higher level, um, you know, maybe community engagement piece that we don't have the capacity necessarily for, but also to find an objective entity that could be administering it kind of outside of the Arts Commission to engage stakeholders in neighborhoods and community that are, you know, kind of getting a sense of how the cultural centers are um, accessible, affordable, kind of some of the mandates that we have for them in their grand scopes, mm -hmm. but providing kind of more of an objective evaluation and, and rec set of recommendations. Um, we do online compliance monitoring, fiscal oversight. Um, you'll, in August, um, August 27th, I keep saying a different date, it is August 27th when we have our next commission, uh, Community Investments Committee meeting. But we'll be inviting, I believe we're going to be inviting the cultural centers to come and present their MPPs, which are their management and program plans um, for the coming fiscal year. And you know, so we, we've been doing this work, but I think it's about having something above and beyond that that will be more of a community layer and an objective party to come in and um, provide some insights about how we can continue to improve the cultural center's performance in relationship to community. Perfect. And that, that is kind of, this is the point where um, Director Caney was hoping to engage you all in a little bit more fruitful conversation about what you see in these three areas. So I'm going to pass it over to you. Yeah. Um, Just before you engage in fruitful conversation, I have my car parked in a place that uh, I really need to move. And so I wanted to talk more broadly just about the timing that we allocate for these discussions. So I feel like I know we had a really robust conversation. That's a nice word to use. But, um, um, and um, that was important to have. But now we've kind of run out of time since we were allocated until three. So either we you know, kind of rush through this conversation, and I'm, I'd rather not do that, or we try to you know, allocate the time to have the, the conversation. So I just kind of wanted to put it out there. What do people think? I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm the only one who has a parking issue, but I'm just saying oh, yeah, we, I, I, I've been doing pay by phone. You do pay by phone. Yes, parking. I wasn't smart enough to do that. I'm just like, um, so. So, um, I don't know, I'm just going to throw it back to you because I know you want our input on this, but I'm just feeling like we might be a little time constrained. And there were other things on the agenda as well. Yes, and we do want to get through motions. And I think what happened is we went a little long on our um, Street Artists Committee meeting, so we got started 30 minutes late here. Maybe what I'd suggest, and Commissioner Collins did ask if we could have uh, President Ardiana chair us through the rest of the meeting, but what I might suggest is we've introduced these allocations 
And we do have some time. So I think on either of these buckets, we are just starting some internal conversations. Um, we are hoping to have a meeting shortly with Cheryl Davis from the Human Rights Commission to talk about what a partnership around the Racial Equity Initiative might look like. Um, I think we could continue to engage each of you as individuals for your input um, to have more robust conversations in terms of eliciting your thoughts about the scope of work, both for the Cultural Center um, Strategic Plan of Assessment for the 50,000 as well as the kind of initial uh, 225000 for the Racial Equity Initiative. And then maybe we could do, because I think it would set us up well on timing, is on the August 27th meeting, reconvene and agendize um, the actual kind of coming to more of a conclusion so that we could bring everybody's individual input together to the table and, and structure a ton more time for that conversation to happen. Because um, I agree, I think we want to have a more, particularly on the racial equity initiative, a more substantive conversation about what would a quality program look like, you know, what would be the terms of that, who would get to participate, is there a selection process, or is it, you know, open? So um, maybe we could do is between now and August 27th, um, between Barbara and I, set up individual meetings with each of you to kind of talk about what your thoughts are, and particularly these two areas, I think the racial equity initiative and the cultural center assessment and then calendar kind of a formal conversation to talk about kind of finalizing the scope. Does that seem like a good plan? And in your packet, there are um, kind of three very high level um, summaries of different cities' approaches to racial equity. Um, it'll give you more time. We didn't have enough time to really drill down into it to give you more a more succinct summary, but it could be something to look at um, to see if there were any kind of uh, nuggets that you felt could be replicated um, for that next conversation. Yeah, and just for the public record, since um, this is being recorded, just to note the three sample racial equity uh, models that we are kind of presenting for you to look at are Los Angeles, Minneapolis, and Seattle. Um, and Seattle's work did lead to the formation of the Government Alliance for Race and Equity, which is now a member city, along with many cities around the country. So um, this gives us some time to kind of digest all of this and maybe do some online uh, research or kind of looking at promising practices, uh, meeting with the Human Rights Commission, and then look at our August 27th meeting at the time. And it's kind of nice because we'll be starting the fiscal year, we'll be starting the school year, and we can be talking about how we want to formalize that scope um, for whatever the work would entail. Great. So with that, that concludes our report, the director's report for today, June 11th. Okay. Are there any further questions on behalf of the commissioners for the director's report? Seeing none, is there any public comment on the director's report? Seeing none, let's go ahead and move into agenda item number four, the Writers Court Teaching Artists in Residence Grant. And there is a potential action, discussion, and possible motion to approve the Writers Court Teaching Artists in Residence Grant panel recommendation. Um, so maybe staff can walk us through this before I read out the potential motion. Yes, um, I'll let uh, Director Mumby uh, explain this, but it's uh, this is to replace a missing uh, uh, or to a uh, well. <laughs> I'll let Barbara explain. Um, we went through a um, panel process to identify three new writers' core um, teachers for this coming um, three-year cycle. And there was one individual that was right on, or this individual, Monty Hollingsworth, was, was somebody that staff felt very um, adamant that would be a great addition to the program, but we just didn't have the funding to go down that far. In the meantime, one of our current Writers' Corps teaching artists has decided not to continue in the program, so that opens up another slot. So that's why what we did was just went down one more in the ranking to include her, and um, this individual provides a level of diversity, both in um, who they are as an individual, as well as what the program that they're serving, that I think would be, uh, is a great addition to the Writers' Corps program. So, do we have a motion to approve the Writers' Corps Teaching Artists in Residence grant panel recommendation to the following individual for up to three fiscal years, 2019 to 2021, pending availability of funds, and to authorize the Director of Cultural Affairs to enter into grant agreements with fiscal sponsor, um, Imani Hollingsworth, fiscal sponsor, Intersection for the Arts, $52,000 annually. Okay. 
Is there any discussion on behalf of the commission on this motion? Seeing none, is there any public comment on this motion? Seeing none, I'll call for the vote. All those in favor, say aye. 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 Any opposed, say nay. The motion carries unanimously. Next item on the agenda is number five, Arts Impact Community Working Group. And this is a motion to rescind and reissue the approval um, of an individual serving on the Arts Impact Endowment Community Working Group. I'm gonna ask staff to uh, provide some explanation for this as well. Yes, you may recall that the full commission meeting, you all approved the working group members. These are the same members, but two of them are wishing to direct their $500 honorarium to a fiscal uh, to their organization. So um, okay. by controller standard, we need your resolution to authorize the payment. And so the payment is switching from the individual, in this case, Kibo Drew and Shamshir Virk, who both participated in the two-day working group. Um, they are wishing to direct payment because they participated on behalf of their organization. And they're wishing, therefore, to direct the payment to their organizations. And so you're, in this instance, would be modifying it from an individual payment to the payment of their respective organizations. And for Kibo Drew, that is the Queer Women of Color Media Arts Project, otherwise known as QuacMap, and Shamshir Burke is directing his payment to 01, uh, the Art and Technology Network. Great, thank you. So do we have a motion to rescind and reissue the approval of the following individual to serve on the Arts Impact Endowment Community Working Group, authorized by resolution number 0506-19-124, and to authorize the Director of Cultural Affairs to approve that payments be remitted to the following organizations. Kibo Drew, payment to be made to Quirk Women of Color Media Arts Project, QuacMap, and Shamshir Burke, payment to be made to 01, the Art and Technology Network. So, is there any um, discussion on behalf of the commission on this motion? Seeing none, is there any public comment on this motion? Seeing none, um, all those in favor, please say aye. 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 Any opposed, please say nay. The motion passes unanimously. And moving on to agenda item number six, individual artist commission grant. Um, this is a discussion and possible motion to increase the individual artist commission grant um, to an individual artist, and I'll ask the staff to also um, share some explanation for this one as well. Okay, I'll take this one. Um, what we have discovered with our um, current grants management system is that it's a little glitchy, so as we download information, it'll drop off some pertinent information. So you previously approved this grant for 14000 when it should have been 15000 So the amount that the panel actually um, reviewed was for 15000 So it's just to correct that system error that we, we made. Great. So do we have a possible motion to increase the Individual Artist Commission grant to Edina Alejo, authorized by resolution number 0506-19-110 by $1,000 and to authorize the Director of Cultural Affairs to enter into a grant agreement for an amount not to exceed $15,000 at this time? Second. Is there any uh, discussion on behalf of the Commission? Seeing none, is there any public comment on the motion? Seeing none, all those in favor, please say aye. 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 Any opposed, please say nay. The motion passes unanimously. And that takes us to agenda item number seven, new business and announcement. Is there any new business and announcement? I have one item that has come up in conversation, and I just want to thank everybody for um, some very thoughtful uh, questions and deliberation regarding uh, the street artist disciplinary hearings that were heard earlier today. Um, one suggestion that has been made to me is the possibility that a smaller uh, panel of the commission could perhaps be hearing these street artist disciplinary hearings. We would want to check with the city attorney to see what they would recommend, but we believe 
we could go as uh, few as three commissioners. Um, and I, um, I it's ultimately would be the appointment of our president, um, so I would uh, defer to you. But I thought since this committee is currently serving in that role, I would just suggest this as new business, see if there are any thoughts about that. But the idea there is that a more nimble group of individuals could, we could either calendar as needed. So right now we're holding disciplinary hearings to Committee Investments Day, um, and they're happening in sequence. And I think to your point, Commissioner Parker Pennington, because we don't know how long it's going to go, it can kind of hinder the strategic conversations we also want to have um, as the Community Investments Committee. Um, I would recommend ideally that it be a subset of this group just because I think all of you are holding the expertise and some background and historical information on the program and we do want to make sure that the disciplinary hearings are aligning with strategy um, on overall kind of you know program plans uh, evaluations which we would want the whole committee to hear so this would be just a subset of this uh, group to hear the disciplinary hearings and it would require some research with our city attorney um, but and we could uh, you know for scheduling convenience try to schedule them in concert with the uh, community investments committees but I just wanted to posit that as a possible idea for new business Great. that committee would need a quorum it would need a quorum, but so the quorum is a majority of the members appointed by our president. So a quorum of three would be two, a quorum of five would be three. Okay. So um, not to get too into it, because we haven't calendared it yet, but I think that's a great idea to research. So I guess my next question would be, do you feel like um, we would be able to engage in a calendared item by August? We could. I think what needs to happen would be at a, a public meeting that the president would need. We'd need to do the research, get legal clarification of what the minimum body would need to be. And then my understanding would be the president would need to announce on a, a calendar meeting, um, a full commission meeting, that the appointed body. Um, so we are currently calendar our next two meetings are July 8th uh, and then August 5th. Uh, Sharon has been pulling you all. Thank you so much for your responses to see. Um, we have given some summer schedules. I think we are looking a little short on quorum for July 8th. But in either case, it could be um, one of those two meetings that it would be announced. And then um, it could be announced also, I think, by the vice president in, uh, or the designation of the president. Um, but it would give us time to, I think, have that body appointed and then in time for a deliberation in August. Yeah. And I was going to say that even if you run out of time in terms of doing the research at uh, the staff level, one thing we could uh, explore is to calendar a conversation about it at this committee level in August and then maybe to have, have it go into effect in September if you feel like you need more time. So. Okay, yeah. I think we could try to be quick about that because I think we'd be efficient for everybody's time. And um, we just are so appreciative of everybody's time. And I think it could be something that three people could dive more deeply into and then report back to the full commission. Well, and my one question is, um, does it need to be the same three commissioners for each one? And that would be, I would run that by the legal. So my point is it would unduly burden uh, three people to, to, to you know, take the bullet on yeah, do that time. Um, and so I'm wondering if we rotated it for people on this, this committee, would that be acceptable just to get that's okay. a brilliant question. That's a great suggestion. We will inquire with the city attorney about what parameters we might have around a rotating appointment from the seven member committee. And then just a reminder that the street artist disciplinary actions don't go to full commission. They go directly, they go right into action. So this committee, as the street artist committee by law, their, your actions today um, stand. The, uh, the individuals can choose to appeal, I believe, is it 30 days, Anne? It's 15 days from being noticed, but essentially, like, it goes into effect now. So the, the result of the appeal process could then overturn it, but that's a prolonged process as well. So your decisions have directly affected the program today. Yes, so they take action immediately, um, and then the individual street artists have it. They, through the law, can choose to appeal that at the Board of Appeals, in which case staff would defend uh, your position at the Board of Appeals. But we will research that with our city attorney and circle back, and I'll be in communication with you, President Orniana, about what we find out. Okay, thank you so much. Is there any other new business announcements? 
Seeing none, is there any public comment on your business and announcements? Seeing no members of the public left, this meeting was adjourned.